turning to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any planet of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was, notice this, say it with me, no man, say it, no man to till the ground. Things couldn't happen without a man. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. There was nothing going on in the earth. There was no garden, no need for a garden of Eden without a man. God had to have a man to begin to build this earth into what he wanted it to be. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and act like men. Say it, act. One more time. Be strong. The King James Version says it this way, watch ye, stand ye fast in the faith, and quit you like men. Be strong. Father, today we honor you as our heavenly Father. And I thank God for all of the the fathers in this house and our precious men. I pray today a divine and supernatural blessing over all of them, and I speak life and health and strength and breakthrough and anointing over every one of their lives. In Jesus' name, anoint this word and speak to us. And everybody said amen. Amen. Quit you like men. Quit you like men. This particular phrase is actually found twice in the Bible. It is found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. But it is also found in 1 Samuel 4 and 9. That occasion is when the Philistines were facing Israel on the battlefield and were about to go to war with the nation of Israel. Then they heard Israel shout with a great shout because Israel was bringing onto the battlefield the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines were absolutely petrified with terror. Because they had heard about the Lord God of Israel, whose Shekinah presence dwelled in that box called the Ark of the Covenant. And as these Philistines began to hear what was happening, they wanted to turn and run before the battle began. And their lieutenants and sergeants, if you've ever been in the military or around the military, I wasn't in the military, but used to do a lot of work on Fort Polk Base in Louisiana. You know that they can get these men to storm an impossible hill and give their lives in doing it. Their sergeants and their lieutenants went up and down that line of soldiers and telling them, I know you're afraid. I know you would rather be somewhere else right now and go do something else because it doesn't Look good with that Ark of the Covenant coming out there. But you've got to square your shoulders and you've got to fight. And they use this phrase, 
quit you like men. The literal Greek translation means for you to be a man. What God spoke to Adam, there was no man, there was nothing constructive going on in the earth. And God realized and knew that if this earth was going to prosper and become what his vision for the earth was, that he needed men to get that done. The term actually means to man up. Be a man. Man up. And because of the law of first mention, which is a theological principle when something is used in the Bible, from the first occasion it is used, that generally becomes the reference point in which you begin to understand what that phrase means when it is used on other occasions in the Bible. It becomes, as it were, the point of context. And whenever Israel was moving that Ark of the Covenant out to the battlefield, and this phrase was used by their, their Ark rivals and enemies, the Philistines, man up. It took on then the connotations of something that happens on a field of battle, doesn't it? It became a term that describes spiritual warfare. It means to be engaged in fighting a battle when everything inside of you would rather turn around and leave. It means to suck it up anyway. To stand and fight when you know the outcome might not go the way you wanted it to, but you got to fight anyhow. When the odds are against you and it's hard, man up. And when you would rather leave and run, man up. It means to square your shoulders and grit your teeth. And stand your ground, knowing that it may cost you everything. Paul uses this same phrase when speaking to men and because of the law of first mention. He is also talking about spiritual warfare, which he makes plain. Watch ye, be watchful, the modern translations would say. That's a warfare term too, and applies to the sentries that were placed around the camp. Stand fast. In the faith, be strong, man up. Everything about that verse describes what you've got to do on a field of battle when you know that you might not survive what's happening. Some of you in this audience have been to Iraq and Afghanistan and have placed your lives on the line for our country. And for that, we are all deeply, deeply grateful and salute you. You know better than the rest of us who are here what war is like. You have witnessed the noise, the sheer panic, the utter confusion, the terror, the bloodshed. I have on numerous occasions, as recently as just last Sunday, prayed with big strong men in this altar who have trembled with tears running down their faces, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, who said, Pastor, pray for me. I can't get over this. I'm suffering from PTSD post-traumatic stress syndrome. For years, our nation has fought battles and sent people to war, and when they came back, said, okay, go back to work now, get your tools, everything's okay, when everything's not okay. When you've been in trauma and you've watched your, your best friends, your, your buddies, your brothers, your comrades in arms, you've watched them lay their lives down and give up their life. It can be a traumatic experience that's not easily forgotten. 
Spiritual warfare is what this particular passage is all about. That's the language that it uses, now are you hearing me, to describe what it's like to be a man. That is literally the way Paul addresses the issue of manhood, that men, for you to be a man in the world we are living in right now, you're going to have to suck it up. You're going to have to man up when everything inside of you is wanting to go the opposite direction. I've been in some places, though I wasn't in the military, where I've seen the results of some of these terrorist activities. It was at Santa Cruz train station in Mumbai, India, when the bombs went off, 170 some odd people killed and body parts everywhere. Same thing, Ethiopian village in Kampala, Uganda, I was there. When two World Cups ago, they set off bombs there. I, 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 I talked to a security guy in the airport one time. He said, Pastor, we're going to start watching you. Amen. He said, I don't, I don't know why it happens. You, you might get the homeland security following you, wondering why all this is going on everywhere you go. You know, I, I told him, trust me, it's not because I want it to. Amen. Be assured that when you man up, that demonic spirits are going to come crawling out of holes you didn't even know they were hiding in. Amen. To try to cause problems. In the kingdom of God, you quickly learn that anything you try to do for God, rather, rather it's being a priest to your family or just a man in general, or even building a new church building like we're doing, you're going to be opposed by the enemy. And with men, this is a very real and daily battle, hourly battle. I want to tell you women some things you might not know. Unfortunately, it's very easy with all these programs, Dr. Phil and Oprah and Dr. Drew and all of these others, talk shows and magazine articles, it's easy to think you can no, you, th you can think you know more about something than you really know. I don't mean to sound as though I'm being critical, but I see this happen particularly in the attempts that are being made to communicate the differences and that exist between the needs of the opposite sexes. And again, I'm not minimizing the needs of our precious ladies, but let me talk. Let me preach today. It's Father's Day. So ladies, just sit tight and hold on to your, your bonnet. Amen. Because I want to talk to men. I'm going to tell you ladies that if you read any of those articles in women's magazines and they tell you the 12 most important things in a man's life, eight things you should expect from your husband, or the nine battles your husband is facing, it's easy for you to think you know all about what he's going through and you don't have a clue. To begin with, I want to tell you, we don't always know what, what women are going through either. And I'm going to profess to you that as a man, I'm, I'm just as, as uneducated in many aspects of, 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 of what it's like to be a woman as, as women are about what it's like to be a man. I'm not casting stones. I'm making a confession. I'll even tell you more. There's some things I don't want to know about being a woman. When my wife had our two children, I said, whoa, right there. That's enough for me. And if they were depending on me to have a child to carry on the human species, I'm sorry, we would just become extinct. 
because it's not going to happen. I have no desire to learn about some of that. But I want to tell you, equally so, you need to realize that just because you read these articles and pay eight bucks for a magazine, don't you come home and think you've got that man all figured out. Look at who wrote that article. It was a woman. Save your money. Put it in the building fund. What I'm going to tell you is real. Men are by nature very competitive. We're very competitive. We turn everything into a competition. Yeah, we do. We play a table game with our family. We got to be the ones to win. Whether it's Uno or Skip Bo or Monopoly. We don't like to lose. Come on, guys. Don't you sit there like you don't know what I'm talking about. Amen. We don't want to spend our time on something that we're constantly being told that we aren't good at. And sometimes people think the way to fix the problems of being a man is to point out and all those areas where they're failing. But you see, if men try and fail and someone highlights that failure over and over, you know what we have a tendency to do? Not get better. We have a tendency to quit. We walk away from it. Why? It's because God put within us something called testosterone. That's both a wonderful (laughs) and a very difficult thing to deal with. It causes us to be competitive and take delight in winning. But I want to tell you, it's also a good thing in that it makes us want to succeed. We are driven as men to strive and to keep on trying that we may be successful at what we do. We don't like to fail. And it goes all the way back to the garden. When God put Adam in it, this is what he said. Take dominion over the earth and subdue it and have authority. Do you know what take dominion means? It means seize control. Subdue it means gain the upper hand. And we don't know how to stop doing that. So whether it's monopoly or who has the remote control when it's television watching time. We've got to be the ones that are, have the upper hand. We were created by God to face challenges. And to come out on top. And if we have the right values We will always direct the force and energy of that drive to do good for our families. We will get out of bed with a fever. Come on, men. We'll go to work when it's raining and we got to work outside and it's cold. When we don't want to, we'll lay our lives down on the line and we'll protect our families. Somebody is a threat to us, we'll stand between that person or that threat and danger We will build a successful business and sacrifice and wear the same shoes until we have to get them resold a dozen times or work for a boss that cusses us and doesn't appreciate us. You know why? Because we will face a challenge if it means helping our family and we have been programmed with the right values. But on the other hand, This testosterone thing can be a bad thing because if we have been programmed with the wrong values, you know what we seek to master? We seek to master 
other things and make other kinds of conquest. Anybody listening to me? And what we'll end up doing is derailing our families and our families will be a train wreck because we sought the wrong things driven by a force inside of us that we didn't understand. If you aren't programmed with the right values, whether it's being a man or a woman, I want you to know that you can end up blowing up your life and later look back when there's nothing left to salvage and wonder why you did it. Hello, I'm preaching to you. And all of the while, you've got television and Hollywood and movies and shows and the news and friends and 10,000 other influences that are telling you that what was wrong yesterday is okay today. Don't listen to that church. Don't listen to the Bible. The Bible says that we are supposed to call evil or we are supposed to call evil for what it is. But it says there's a day coming when they will call evil good and good evil. And that's the hour we live in right now. Your children watching Nickelodeon and Walt Disney programs are seeing more stuff influence them to go the wrong way than you ever would have dreamed. That's why as a dad, you got to protect your family. And you've got to monitor what your kids do. And, and your children may say, oh, but I don't want to be in at that time. It's your job to make sure they're in at the right time. Amen. I'll tell you something else about men. We're drawn to praise, but we will go out of our way to avoid the criticism that I was talking about. You want to get a man to do something praising. You know why? Because we were made in the image and likeness of Almighty God who seeks people to praise him according to John chapter number four, verse number 23. God's looking for people to worship him. God doesn't like criticism either because we were made in his image. You wonder why your man doesn't like criticism? God doesn't like it. 14 times in the wilderness, Israel complained. They complained about the leaders God gave them. They complained about the water. They complained about not having the kind of food they had in Egypt. They complained about eating manna, which was actually angels' food. 14 times in the wilderness, they criticized until finally God said, that's it. I'm leaving the whole bunch of them in the wilderness to die there until there's a new generation because of their grumbling and complaining. Read it in Numbers 11 and verse number 1. It's there for you to see. And God, you know what is striking about this? When they criticized the water, when they criticized their leader, when they criticized the food, when they criticized the wilderness, you know what they were doing? God said, you're criticizing me. I'm taking it personal. And men are made that way. You criticize the car they, they work to provide or the house they give you or the clothes. They stretch their budget as thin as they can. I want you to know you can't criticize the stuff that we give you without criticizing us. A better amen belong right there. Amen. It's because we're made in God's image and likeness. If your man doesn't like criticism, you need to understand where it comes from. The difference, of course, and you're quick to point this out, is that God is perfect and therefore doesn't justify being criticized. There's no criticism you can give him. We men are far from it. We need some help. But what I'm trying to tell you is even though we need it, the package it comes in does matter. Hello, somebody. The way you say it, the way you approach it, determines whether we accept it or we go the other direction. I've told you before 
that how you say something is of huge importance. You tell a woman, you've got a face that'll make time stand still. And she will kiss you. But if you tell her, lady, you got a face that'll break a clock. She's going to slap you into the middle of next week. And yet you just told her the very same thing. It all depends upon how you say it. Hello, somebody. Men respond to praise. Am I, am I talking to you right now? I remember being raised as a boy on my grandparents' farm, and, and some of you from the country may remember these days. About once a month, they had to go into town and buy the groceries and things they couldn't raise on the farm. And they'd go to the feed store and they would buy these big 100-pound sacks of feed for the animals and the livestock on the farm. And they would call my Uncle Floyd. He was a strong man. He was a, a heavy-duty equipment operator and a big guy. And they would call him. He lived in Orange, Texas, worked in the shipyards, and he would come with his international van. I can still see that old thing. I'd be worth about $60,000 today if we still had it. And he would drive the 30 miles or so to Lake Charles, 35, 40 miles, however it was. They lived out in the country from the city. And, and, and they would, he would take them into town. And we kids, we all loved that time. It was like Christmas when they came back. And, and they would come back down that shale road. And the back end of that international but would be pressed down almost to the ground with the weight of that feed those 100 pound sacks and and we would watch them unload things and we'd carry what little we could but the heavy work my uncle floyd did he'd pick up one of those 100 pound sacks and put it on his shoulder and carry it to the barn and i am convinced and my aunt barbara jean who still lived at home and my grandmother nanny that's what we called her i think they were playing him they knew full well what they were doing they would say oh Floyd, how do you carry that 100-pound sack on your shoulder? That's amazing. You are so strong. And he said, oh, that ain't nothing. And he had pick up one here and put another one here and walk to the barn carrying two of them. Men will kill themselves if you will learn to do it in a way they will give their life to you and lay down to make you happy. Amen. But nagging just won't get it done. Even more, we men have learned that being a man in today's society is a thankless position. Someone noticed that the word father appears in the dictionary just before the word fatigued and just after the word fathead. <laughs> men don't feel appreciated. Mother's Day is by far the busiest day for calls, according to AT&T. Hallmark sells many more cards on Mother's Day than on Father's Day. Dads learn to live with this. We rightfully honor the precious women in our lives and the stabilizing role they play in society. But at the same time, we wonder, where's the love for what we do? Where's the appreciation for the sacrifices we have made? A dad can be careful to attend every single practice, take his son to game after game, and when his son finally makes it to the pros, just as soon as they get that camera on him, hi, mom. (laughs) 
We've learned to accept all of that, but at the same time, we wonder, have our sacrifices been noticed? Are they worth what they have cost us? Because we've given our lives to further complicate matters. Times have changed and continue to evolve constantly, and with them, the expectations placed on men have changed as well. Everything around us is in the process of changing. From one thing to another, expectations change, society changes, jobs change, policies change, morals change, what you were taught in school changes, political correctness changes, what is acceptable changes until as a man you hardly know what is required of you anymore in today's world. Being masculine is a constantly shifting concept. The goalposts are being moved constantly. Men hardly know what we should say or do anymore. I don't know whether to let you open your own door or I'm supposed to open it for you. And you know what? I'm, come on, guys. Don't you sit out there like a knot on a log and leave me out. Amen. I'm talking to you right now. Amen, amen, amen. It was in, in times past, most of us men of my age and even some younger were raised in a society that demanded a more masculine male, the John Wayne type. Only thing he ever kissed was his horse, amen. The rough cowboy, put on your hat and ride out into the rain and, and snow and, and storm the beach, you know, beachhead, be a Marine, the Bruce Willis kind of diehard type of fellow. That's what we were taught was a real man. And then after that, something happened. And men would decided that, uh, society decided that men needed to be soft and, and sensitive and, and, you know, in touch with their emotions and we had to be like Ralph Fiennes or Tay Diggs or, you know, the kind of guy that that's became the yardstick we were measured by. Amen. And then it was, you got to be a homeboy like Edward Olmos. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, homie. Amen. You had to be thugging like Snoop Dogg. Where my dog's at here? <laughs> You had to end up going that route to be accepted and be thought of as cool. Throughout history, the church has been the only force in society that has not changed its expectations of, for men and to steadfastly call men to consistently reflect the particular values that are needed by a society. Not only that it can survive, but that it can thrive. Because the God that made this world knows that it takes men to turn this earth into something. Amen. We need, we need the word of God. Without it, chaos ensues. Humanity suffers. Prisons are full of men who bought into that whole, I got to be the homeboy or I got to be the gangster persona. I tell you what, I believe in freedom of speech, but there are rules. You are not allowed to shout fire in a crowded theater. That's against the law. I personally think some of this filth being perpetrated on this nation should be against the law, or at least you should hold the people responsible for what ends up happening when a guy goes to prison because he bought into all that kind of stuff. Our prisons are full of people that listened to these lies and thought that's what you were supposed to be like to be a man. 
And this, again, is why the Word of God is so important. And it's also why, like I said, when God put man in the earth, here comes the enemy crawling out of his slimy hole, trying to attack. You know why? Because he doesn't want God's world to be turned into anything productive. Man's going to be placed in that garden and the world's going to take on a different look because men are by, by nature builders and constructors. Amen. Amen. And amen. And this is why the enemy has set about to systemically destroy the value of the word of God in today's society, remove the Ten Commandments from public buildings, forbid prayer in schools, at sporting events, and not allow any more the Bible in, in the school as well. The result is a rudderless society, a ship that's drifting toward the rocks just as fast as it can go. Amen. And it's about to crash. This nation is upon the reefs of lawlessness and evil. The values the scripture teaches are absolutely necessary. If society is going to survive. And you know who's got to model those precepts? It's men. We can't sit around and let ladies do it for us. It's got to be men. Man up. Man up. That's why the enemy attacks men so hard. You see, I'm going to tell you something that your husband or your man will never tell you. It's hard being a man. Most men will never say that because they don't want to show that as a weakness and they think you'll perceive it that way. Or they're too inarticulate to be able to express it. When I was growing up to be a good man, what mattered most was to be a good provider for your family. My grandfather hardly ever spoke to me and when he did, it was usually in the form of a correction for something. That's the truth. Something I was doing he didn't like. Stop that, boy. His favorite word for me was iron head. I'm not making that up. Iron head, would you stop that? Right now, that would be considered child abuse. And I'm not encouraging that. But what I am going to say is there was a time when he got by with stuff like that because he put food on the table. We had clothes. It might not have been the best. We had a roof over our head. We had something to eat. When my dad got everything settled in his life, he became the same way. Hardly ever talked to him. I grew up hating my father. We didn't have a relationship at all because, like I said, it was as long as dad did his role, went out and worked, Came home all hot and dirty and sweaty. He had a right to sit there on the sofa with that remote control in his hand. And don't you even say a word. Because all you'd get back is a grunt. Uh. Amen. How many of you guys were raised that same way? Your father communicated in one-syllable grunts. Uh. 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 Amen. Times changed again. And during the 60s, a social revolution took place that's continued all since. Ever since, it wasn't, ever since then, it wasn't enough to just be a man. Now you had to chase every skirt that came into. Can I get real and talk to you now? You weren't a man unless you were a player. <laughs> Mac Daddy. Amen. 
You weren't fulfilling your manhood unless you slept with everything that came down the pike. You had to seduce as many women as you could. And the result was numbers of children we can't count raised in fatherless homes. And abortion meals kept busy with kids being aborted that were not wanted. We've had at least two generations of men that have been raised without any moral guidelines at all. And now things have changed once again. Now to be a real man, a man must be sensitive. In touch with his feelings and his emotions. Metrosexual, whatever that is. He's got to cry, but not too much or you're weak. And he's got to be strong, but not too strong or he's insensitive. Regarding my dad, he changed for the better. And I'm grateful to that because he became my best friend. He reached out to bridge that gap that existed all those years. And when my dad died after we had been best friends for, I guess, 20 years, if I was in the country, I called him every single day or he called me. I'm grateful for that. But I understand because I am one that the goalposts keep changing. It's no longer just enough to provide. Now it's not even just enough to be sensitive. Now you're conflicted with these temptations that, well, you know, you can do whatever you want to. I mean, I mean, you literally have women throwing themselves at you. Now, to, let, me, let me talk here because I'm going to get real plain in just a moment. On top of that, guess who else is confused? Ladies are. You got ladies that think they got to show us how little they need us. Hit it. Shoes on my Amen. That's right. I depend on me. That's not what a man wants to hear. Every man wants to be a knight in shining armor to rescue his family. He wants to be looked up to and admired. Hello, somebody. Women are victims too. It's hard for a man to make love to a woman. When she thinks she's supposed to act like she's a strong man. And the man says, hi, baby. <laughs> and she says, hello, darling. How are you? <laughs> I told you I'm going to get plain. Amen. The lyrics of that song go on to say this. Only ring your celly when I'm lonely. When it gets over, please get up and leave. Oh, thank you. What you've just done is made women feel like all they are is somebody's booty call. That's the mess we're dealing with in the world right now. And we wonder why there's so much conflict. The confusion of genders has been one of the greatest reasons for the breakup of the nuclear family in America. 50% of first marriages end in divorce. A staggering 67% of second marriages. 
and an unbelievable 74% of third marriages end in divorce because nobody knows what's required of them anymore. And you can pick up a woman's magazine and read an article written by Oprah about what men really need. Uh-uh. You know what we men will do? We'll smile and say, that's okay, baby. And we'll act like Oprah's right when we know in our heart we have issues that we're struggling with that we just won't bring out into the open. We're competitive. We're struggling. It's hard. In his book, Wild at Heart, John Elridge points out that man was created by God to ask one question of themselves throughout the course of their life. And that question is, do I have what it takes? And that's what men ask of themselves every day. Do I have what it takes? And we ask it primarily about three different areas of our life. Because we have three basic desires within sight of us. Three basic desires. Number one, three basic needs. We desire, we look for, we long for a battle to fight. According to John Elridge, men are created with these three things inside. The need for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a damsel to rescue. And every single time we confront a battle, we say, do I have what it takes? When it's an adventure, do I have what it takes? When it's a damsel, do I have what it takes? We compare ourselves. I could get really graphic right now. The first desire is for a battle to fight. Every man needs a fight. And if you strip him of that, you're going to strip him of his masculinity and emasculate him. A man needs to strive for something. He doesn't need everything handed to him on a platter. God put Adam in the garden to work the ground. He's got to work something. Work something. Do you hear what I'm saying? A man's got to work at something. And every one of us are created with a John Rambo on the inside. That's me right there. And that's your husband too. Come on, guys. Tell me in your heart of hearts, you haven't dreamed of something like what I'm talking about. You know what? I, uh, you've got to have a battle to fight. You've got to be able to stand for something. Amen. You're either John Rambo or you're Michael White. Amen. You're, you're in the cage. Amen. The second desire every man has is he wants an adventure to live. And on the outside, we may look like we're a timid office type, a Walter Mitty that's scared of his own shadow. But I want to tell you that inside, there's a swashbuckling Indiana Jones waiting to be released. That's me right there, too. I just put on a shirt and a hat. Amen. And that's your husband too. An adventure to live. We want an adventure. We'll take a risk. That's who we are. Amen. Don't strip us of that ability. And then the third desire is that every man craves a damsel to rescue. We need a woman to look at us all starry-eyed with her eyelashes just to flutter and say, you are my hero. 
And if you're an independent woman and you depend on you because the shoes on my feet, I bought them. You've communicated to me you don't need me. Now, I'd appreciate all the help I can get with a family budget, but there's a little difference in you saying, I don't need you and I need help with it. I want to help with a family budget. You hear what I'm saying? You know what you're doing if you're projecting yourself as so strong and independent you don't need anybody? You don't need a, your husband, your man? You're setting him up for some other woman that's soft and vulnerable that's going, oh, oh, I don't know what to do. And she will play him like a drum. Talk to me, men. Talk to me, men. When men get out of their place, they are replaced. And as a result, society becomes displaced. Adam got out of his place. It's interesting that when God went to Adam after he sinned, he had to say, where are you? You're out of your place, Adam. And as a result, man has been displaced. His dominion has been forfeited and lost. Our world is in a mess because of it. And as a result, society is displaced. Man has been replaced by forces of destruction. Look at Gideon. Where are you, Gideon? Where are you, Gideon? I'm threshing wheat. Yeah, but where? In the wine press. That's not where you thresh wheat, Gideon. You're hiding in the wine press. Why? Because you have gotten out of your place. And now you've been replaced by the Midianites. And as a result, society has been displaced. You know what America needs? It needs a revival among its men. Men, man up. I'm done. I said, man up, men. Stand up and be a man. Stand up and resist temptation. Man up. Did you know that 90% of the men in this nation say they believe in God? And five out of six of them even claim to be Christians. Yet only 35% of them ever go to church. They have allowed themselves to get out of their place. As a result, they have been replaced as the leaders in spiritual matters by the women of this nation. Thank you, ladies, for the great job you've done because we wouldn't do our job. But I'm calling on men to man up and be men of God. Be men to your family. Hallelujah. Be a priest in your home. Would you stand with me? It's time to do our job again, men. And tell the devil we're taking our roles back. I'm taking my assignment back. I'm taking my authority back. That's what I loved about Jose's testimony. Jose and his beautiful wife, their testimony. When Jose took his role back, the film, the video you saw as I began the service today, you know what happened? When he took authority, the woman he loved that God intended for him to be with, began to submit to that authority and together they became a powerful unit for God for what the 
emergency room couldn't fix, a prayer in the name of Jesus did fix. Miracles will happen if men rise up and man up. Miracles will happen in homes. Give the Lord some praise right now if you would please.